Welcome to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. Brought to you by Present Truth Ministry, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. But I just want us to get into the Word uh, because I believe our time is precious, so let's give time to the Word. But I want to thank everyone. That is here. Uh, Pastor Brano, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm really honored to be here. Um, I, I mean, powerful revelations coming forth as, as Apostle Bo was just sharing the word and uh, 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 Apostle Brandon sharing last night. It was just awesome revelation. Praise God. Um, and those of you who know my dad, and I honor my dad for, for, for just raising and releasing me into ministry to do what I'm doing. For those of you who know my dad, my dad is a very strong teacher of the word. Uh, so, and if you grow up under your father, uh, I mean, what, what, what more revelation do you want to teach? So I normally tell, tell people, my dad teaches the meat and the bones. I do the snacks. All right. So, I mean, so with all the powerful revelation coming, so just, just drop your level a little bit, right? We're just going to do the snacks. All right. And then these guys will come and. Continue with the bones. Praise God. All right. So I want to talk about the basic foundation for building an impactful ministry. Basic foundation for building an impactful ministry. An impactful ministry is not stumbled upon. You don't stumble upon success. If you are not deliberate, you will fail. If you are not deliberate, your ministry will not be impactful. So I want to build on three verses. I read a lot of scriptures, so you either want to write or go with me, or we'll use the projector, whatever is faster. In in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1, the scripture talks about us giving the most earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift. He said we pay attention. We give the most earnest heed to the things or we pay greater attention to the things that we have heard lest we drift away. And drifting does not happen instantaneously. It happens gradually. And if you are not careful in ministry, you will drift from the things that make you impactful. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 1, Paul says to write the same things to you. It's not tedious, but for you it is safe. That means in Christianity, reputation is safety. So some things have to be repeated again. Even though it's a school of ministry, I'm going to repeat some things you know. For me, it's not tedious. For you, it is safe. Because sometimes we're caught up in trying to be deep and we're drowning. Alright? Or we're trying to, to learn something new and we're like the Athenians that is always seeking for a new revelation but ultimately, we're building to an unknown God. So we don't even know what we're building anymore. Because we're just seeking something new. And so, uh, I am a master of reputation. And I feel that that's one of my roles, to repeat the things you have heard before. And I was glad Apostle said it uh, last night, that one of the things that God's Word comes to do is affirmation. To affirm the things you already know. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just affirm some of the things you know. So let's build on Psalm 78, verse 70 to 72. Psalm 78, verse 70 to 72. I'll use the NIV version. I'm going to use a lot of translations. Verse 70 says, He chose David, his servant. Underline the word chose. 
He chose David, his servant, Psalm 78, verse 70 to 72, and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd. Underline the word, brought him to be the shepherd. Of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. Underline the word, his inheritance. Verse 72, and David shepherded them with the integrity of his heart. Underline the word, integrity of his heart. And with the skillful hands, he led them. Five things we find in that verse. Number one, he chose David. Number two, he took him from the sheep pen and brought him to be shepherd. He took him from building something temporal to building something eternal. It doesn't matter the job you're doing. It doesn't matter the bank you're working. The only eternal thing on this earth is if it has to do with ministry. Even if you're like Dangote in my country, you have cement factories all over the world. It's not eternal. So, the choice of ministry is bringing you from something temporal to something eternal. David was already employed. Peter was a fisherman. But God needed to push them into something eternal. So, I want you to see that he picked him from doing something temporal and brought him into doing something eternal. Because now we have a theology going on right there that we all have to live doing something eternal and go back to doing something temporal so we can tell people that we're not depending on their tithes and their offerings. Meanwhile, God took people from doing something temporal and took them to something eternal. To be the shepherd of his people, Jacob of Israel, inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart and skillful hands and led them. Number one, David was chosen by God. We cannot assume we are called. We must be called. That's the basic foundation. Even if your pastor brought you here, it does not mean you are called. It just means that you came for an event. Zeal is not equal to calling. So the first question we must answer is, did God choose you? That's the first one. We must just be clear on that first. Not chosen by your church. Not chosen by your apostolic network. Not chosen by your spiritual father. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. And he gave gifts. He gave some to be gifts. He gave. He gave. Not the church gave. Not they gave. He gave. So, if you are not clear of your choice, you cannot be talking of an impactful ministry. Because you cannot be impactful when you have not been sent. So, assumption is not calling. Zeal is not calling. Dreams and visions is not calling. Are you chosen? Is it a yes or no? It's not I think. You can't think. It's either you're chosen or not. So, the first thing in talking about impactful ministry is God's choice. God chose David. And David was clear about that when Micah was mocking him. He says, God took the throne from your father and gave it to me. David never doubted his call. Because there are things that will happen in your life that will make you doubt if God has chosen you. If you're not sure. So the first thing is God's choice. It's God's choice. Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 11. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 11. These, these are foundational things, but I just want to remind you. 
to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. To which I was appointed. Very clear. Very clear. To which I was appointed. Very clear. Because we have many zealous people in ministry. Mark 3.14. Then he appointed 12 that he might be with him. So there is the issue of being appointed. The fact that you see everything going wrong in the church does not mean he has called you. So, so we need to be clear first. Are you called or you are just zealous? Paul as Saul was zealous for the Jewish God until God called him to become Paul. And he made impact. <laughs> he killed. You know, because sometimes when you see the way we fight ourselves in ministry, you ask yourself, are we really, are we really building for the same kingdom? If we are building for the same kingdom, why this level of hatred, envy, backbiting, destruction of one another? Are you really called? Because if you are called, you, for the sake of the sheep, you will, you will swallow your pride and say, I can allow some things go. For the sake of the sheep. You know, we don't mind whole church getting destroyed just to protect our reputation. So you ask yourself, are we, are we really called? You hear some things pastors do and you're like, did God actually call you? Because, you know, this, this is iniquity. Praise God. So we have to settle that. Acts chapter 1 verse 26. Acts 1 26. Praise God. Are you still here? Acts 1 26. And they cast their lot and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with 11 apostles. They followed all the procedure. Somebody who had traveled with us, somebody who was with us, they casted lots, they prayed. After following all their requirements, they chose Matthias. That was the only time he appeared in scripture. Because Matthias was the apostle's choice to replace Judas. But Paul was God's choice. Like we're told on, on Friday, or yesterday, he was the wild card. So if you were chosen by lot, your name will be on the church register. But you, are, you might not do an impactful ministry. So we need to be sure how you were chosen. He met all the qualifications, but God didn't choose him. Galatians 1.1. Galatians 1.1. Paul, an apostle, not from men. Number one, neither true men. So you can be an apostle from men or true men. Because in the day of apostolic reformation, what now happened was they brought apostles to their churches to preach. And after two, three conferences, then everybody became an apostle. Because we are now all apostles. There's no evangelist anymore. So because they became apostles, true men. And then we went into every church prophesying pastors to become apostles, prophesying evangelists to become apostles. And now we have a conglomeration of apostles and apostolic network that have ended up more dividing the body of Christ more than uniting the body of Christ. We would have been better off without where we are now. But through Jesus Christ and God the Father, so, Apostle Paul was clear on the source 
and the endorsement of his apostleship. We cannot affirm a man that God hasn't called. Praise God. So the first thing is, let's be clear, you are chosen. That's the basic foundation for an impactful ministry. I am chosen by God, step one. Step two, you recognize the honor of leading God's inheritance. Realize that it is God's inheritance. Like Apostle was sharing with us, we treat this thing with a level of reverence. It's not just my church. In Psalm 49 verse 20, it says, A man that is in honor and knoweth it not is like the beast of the field that perisheth. You know, the call is so common in our days today that we don't respect it anymore. In those days, when a prophet walked into your house and ordained you a king, there could be only one king in Israel. They were held in honor. There could only be one high priest. You see, but with the message of the priesthood of the believer, what now happened is that we began to disdain the very offices that represents the gift of Christ. And listen, if people despise you, you must not despise yourself. Because today we are in an day and an age where instead of introducing yourself as a pastor, you are now an author, speaker, consultant, life coach. Why don't you just call yourself who God called you? You are ashamed. You are ashamed because you don't want people to think that you are depending on tithes and offering. And so what? And so what? It is God's requirement. They that work in the temple should eat from the temple. What are you ashamed of? I don't want people to think I'm lazy. Are you lazy? If you're not, then what's your problem? I'm a life development officer. You're a joker. You're either a pastor, an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, or a teacher. If I can't find you in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, I won't have anything to do with you. I don't want a life development officer. I want a minister of the new covenant. I want somebody who teaches the truth of eternal life. And we must not be ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Glory to God. So I go everywhere and people introduce themselves and say, who are you? I say, I'm pastor. So drop the title. I said, no, put the title there. God called me a pastor. And I'll call myself one. So you can do a lot without the title. Add it. Add it there. Add it. Is, it, is the title doing anything to you? No. Then put it there. Put it there. I'm not being humble. That's what God calls me. Paul goes to say, I'm an apostle by the will of God. He writes it down. Because he knows where he was coming from. He said, I'm appointed to preach. There's a level of audacity that is needed for impact. There's a level of faith, of courage, to be able to say, this is who I am. That is needed to impact the world. Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> First Peter chapter 5. 
First Peter chapter five. <laughs> First Peter chapter five and verse two to three. Something here to bless your life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Are you still there? Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, exercising the oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. Shepherd the flock of God. We must consider this an honor that God will send his son to die for the world and trust us to lead his children. We must not take it lightly. That's why I never have any friend in ministry who is not serious with his ministry. Some people are not serious with their call. They, 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 they go about ministry as if they have an option. You know, one day I told my wife, I said, if we fail, what are you going to tell your son? If we fail, what do we tell our children? That why other people were succeeding in ministry, what made us to fail? Our location? We didn't have money? The color of our skin? What? 30 years down the line, what reason would you give for your failure? You have the Holy Spirit, you have Bible, you have CDs, you have tapes, you have conferences, and you still failed. <laughs> there is enough to occupy you in your ministry if you are serious. There's enough. Enough work. Praise God. <laughs> Thank you, Lord Jesus. Acts chapter 20, verse, verse 28. Acts 20, 28. I tell my family all the time, can't fail. There's no reason, no excuse. Therefore, take it to yourself and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. The Holy Spirit made you an overseer. Not many who are wise. Not many who are noble. If you look at our natural background, some of us should not be in ministry. But thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. And so we don't take it lightly when we discover that God has chosen us. Because in the natural scheme of things, we don't qualify. But He has qualified us and counted us worthy to put us in the ministry. That is why you can play with anything in my life. I will not bother you. But if you play with the ministry, I will fight you. That's the truth. Because you can't get into ministry because you are qualified. Are you following? We didn't apply for this. So if the Holy Spirit has chosen us for this, we will fight for this with our life. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Praise God. <laughs> so it takes a serious approach to ministry to make serious impact. If you still have an option of failing, you are not ready. So, the choice of God, the honor of leading God's inheritance, we consider that an honor. We walk with that mindset. Then he led by the integrity of his heart. Two things. Integrity of his heart. Number one. First Timothy chapter 4 verse 16. The CEV version says that. Contemporary English version. 
Be careful about the way you live and about what you teach. Keep doing this. Keep doing this. Keep doing this. Continuation of being careful of the way you live. He says, and you will save yourself and those who hear you. Integrity of heart. If there's something we are missing in our generation is that we are making the boundary lines of sin gray. A pastor will, will promise you something. Apostle, invite you and say, come for my meeting. I'm going to refund your ticket. And you get there. And stories. Raise an offering for generator. After three years, generator has not been bought. No accountability. No integrity of heart. We can't build impactful ministry on lies. I'm sorry to say, most pastors lies. Lie about the size of their congregation. Lie about everything to impress who didn't call you. Why do we seek to impress a world that was never designed to like us? Why, why would you seek to impress a world? The world will never like you. If the, world was not, if the world would like you, God would not call you to them. They were never designed to like you. There is nothing you do that the world will like. Even if you feed 5,000 people, say he could have fed 10. Praise God. So we take, we keep watch on our life. So the key things is to watch your motive and your message. You watch your motive and your message. Why do you even desire an impactful ministry? Is it so you can become famous? If you want to become famous, go and become a comedian. Now, let me, let me be clear with this. In the process, some of us will become famous. That's the truth. Because there's also, there's also the anger of smallness that fights fame. You must deal with it. It's bitterness and envy. Every mega church is not wrong. There are 7 billion people in the world. God wants to reach every one of them. Can't do it with just your church that is 50 people. And stop saying that you're a remnant. Don't build a theology around your smallness and your stagnation. You're not the remnant. There are 7,000 other people who have not bowed their knees to bow. You don't know them. Apostle told us, because what is supposed to become inclusive, we, we build as an exclusive club. And so we build our small church and we feel like all oh, the other bigger churches, 20,000 people, they are not teaching the truth. If, if somebody is pastoring 20,000 people and is not teaching the truth, you think God will give you 20,000 people? No, God will never give you because God wants you to teach the truth. So he leaves you with your 50. So your confession and your growth is not consistent. It's confession and your growth is not consistent. So that bitterness against mega churches, drop it, is envy and jealousy and strife. If they ask you to exchange places, you will take it with your hands and your legs. Are we together? These are foundational issues. These are foundational issues. First Peter chapter 5, verse 2 to 4, New Living Translation. K 
care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Entrusted to you. That's what Apostle was trying to say. We must not build this thing concerning ourselves. People were entrusted to us. It's a trust. God trusted us to give us First Peter 5, 2 to 4. I'm using the New Living Translation. Watch over it willingly. So the first motive we must have for ministry is that after God has called us, we now start doing it willingly. So, an impactful ministry starts from a willing heart. I'm excited about this. God has called me for this. Let's go for it. Number two, not grudgingly. Amazingly, because people are going to be in the church that will make you do the work grudgingly. As far as you work with people, there will be opportunities to do it grudgingly. But God says, not grudgingly. How many of you know that these things we're reading is only God that can test these things? I can't test if you're doing your work grudgingly. I might not know. Because it's easy to pretend. So these are the markers. Look at this. (laughs) Not for what you will get out of it. Even though God will take care of us, our goal in ministry is not to become the richest man in our society. That's not our goal. If you have that goal, you become covetous. Listen, I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something. God will take care of you. God will honor you. God will prosper you. But that must never become your aim. Ministry is not a means of getting money. Will God supply your needs? He will. But you must know how to abase and how to abound. Because it's easy to be thankful when you, are base, when you are bound and to grudge when you are base. Are we still together? These this are just simple stuff, right? You're not deep revelation, just simple. But because you are eager to serve God. So there should be an eagerness about your ministry. That, you know, when, when, when I have ministry friends, I want to see an eagerness to do stuff. An eagerness to take territories. And eagerness, you know, attempt great things for God. Do stuff. Do stuff. (laughs) Praise God. Dare to lay hands on the sick. Stop sharing fake miracle videos all over the internet. Go do the right miracles. You're not a broadcaster, you're a preacher. Let's contend for the supernatural. Let's believe God for signs, wonders, and miracles. Don't explain them away. The sick person doesn't need doctrine. He needs healing. Jesus didn't teach doctrine to everybody. When John the Baptist's disciples came to him, he says, are you the Christ or we should wait for another? He says, go tell John what you see. The blind eyes are open. The deaf ears are unstopped. And the poor have the gospel preached unto them. Go read of God. And I began to get a revelation on when the Bible says the poor have the gospel preached unto them. In our mind, we say, you know, in the apostolic, we spiritualize everything. Say, those were the ones that were spiritually poor. No, no, no. You know what that scripture actually means? That's a prosperity scripture. Right there. It takes a lot of money to preach to the poor. If you don't have money, you can't preach to the poor. Because you have to transport them to church. Transport them back. Feed them. 
So a ministry that reaches the poor is a ministry that has resources. I dare you to check any ministry that reaches the poor. It must be a ministry that is blessed with money. So when Jesus says the poor have the gospel preached to them, Jesus was saying, listen, we have enough resources to reach even those who cannot pay for what God has brought to us. The Pharisees couldn't preach to the poor. Are you still here? Why, why are we not having apostolic schools in Sudan? Why is apostolic schools in Santin, Nairobi, Kuala Lumpur, Perth, Australia? Why not Mali? Why not Cote d'Ivoire? Why not Djibouti? Why not Chad? They can't survive there. There's no first fruits there. <laughs> Let's go to Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse fifteen to seventeen. Believe God after this school of ministry that the Lord is going to prosper you and you will have a ministry to the poor. In the mighty name of Jesus, you will have a ministry to the poor. And the gospel that God is committed to your ministry will get to the poor. Sometimes I laugh. I, I laugh. This is not the era of crusades. And the people you are teaching were won by crusades. You know the truth. We can't fund one crusade. We cannot. It doesn't make economic sense to us. Spend millions of dollars just to tell people that Christ has died for them. No offerings received. Some of you will be shocked at the honor God has for Riyad Bonke. You don't honor him, but you will be shocked the honor God has for the the eye God has for him. Go and try and do a crusade here. You realize that you can't. You will stand on that pulpit and realize nobody will listen to you. You don't even have the grace. Will you carry PowerPoint and slide to go and be doing migration and upload on a crusade ground? You won't get one person born again. Ask yourself, when last did someone get born again in our church? Foundation. We're not getting so saved. We're just recycling people from other churches and training them to hate other churches. And we say it's maturity. No. The proof of maturity is love, not hatred. The proof of ma- In fact, the scripture says, mark them that cause division among you. It says, mark them. Let's leave that. Let's go on. Sorry, <laughs> chapter 5. It says this now. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Amazing. That a man will set up a ministry out of envy. He will go preach out of rivalry. And so, everybody must have his own apostolic network. You see a school of ministry here. Instead of us putting our hands together to build one school of ministry, everybody now has a school. You see, I'm going to talk about that tomorrow. Never do what God has not asked you to do. It will take resources from what God has asked you to do. Some of us are struggling in ministry 
Because we have added to the assignment. God releases resources based on your assignment. Every other thing you add, you will fund. Do you understand that? Do you understand that, sir? It's like God says, listen, I want you to run this. And you say, oh God, I'm interested in this. I'm interested in this. God will pay his bill. You will sort the rest out. So most of us are stretching the resources of our ministry. We are just stretching the resources. Oh God, provide. God says you have everything you need if you will stay on your lane. We don't do good things in ministry. We do God things. Praise God. Are we still, are we still here? Okay. It says, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. So when God says, David, let Israel with the integrity of his heart, David was sincere. That even when David, you know, I tell people like this, right? If you look at David and Saul, to be honest, Saul didn't commit too many sins. Let's be honest. Saul was a straight guy. Right? David was a bad guy. When kings were going to battle, the guy was strolling. Saw a woman. Like, what? Sends for the woman. Sleeps with the woman. The woman gets pregnant. Send a text to David. Hey, I can't find my period. I'm pregnant. And David, <laughs> and David calls the man from battle, gives him wine, gives him drink, communion, fellowship. Says, hey, guy, go sleep with your wife. Have some fun with your wife. <laughs> but thank God for loyal men. The man says, no, my guys are in battle. I can't sleep. Slept outside. David wrote a letter for him. The letter that contains his own death. But the man was loyal. He didn't even read the letter. He gave it to the commander of the army. They put him in the most difficult part of the battle and withdrew the troops. Bam! The guy died. Bad guy. Take his wife, impregnate his wife, kill him. And then the prophet came, gave David the parable. David said, ah, that man must be killed. The prophet says, you're the man. David broke down, repented. Samuel came to Saul and says, listen, what you did is wrong. And Saul says, honor me before these people. That was what brought him down. He sought the honor of people and not repentance before God. The same thing between Peter and Judas Iscariot. When Judas crucified, um, sorry, when Judas betrayed Jesus, he wanted to pay his own sin and committed suicide. But Peter repented and cried. See, repentance will make you more usable than self-defense. We live in a generation of self-defense. That's why you see that some guys who have done some very crazy things, God is using them. And with your self-righteous self, you can't do nothing. Church is not growing. You can't pay tickets. You can't keep the lights on because you feel you deserve it. Listen to me. You don't deserve anything except what the blood of Jesus has achieved for us on the cross. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Are you still here? Right. Verse 18. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is being preached. And because of this, I rejoice. 
Well, it was Paul that said, what does it matter? It wasn't God that said so. It, this is Paul's perspective. Paul says, I'm, I'm in chains. But I don't care whether they are preaching from the right motives or the wrong motives. Christ is still being preached. That is Paul's assessment of the situation, not God. To God, he weighs motives. So if you're preaching out of wrong motives, God is going to judge you. I, I, do, do you understand? It's like stuff happening in ministry and say, listen, I don't really care. Whatever these persons do, let's just get on with the kingdom. See, God cares. Do you know when Miriam spoke against Moses, the Bible says God heard. What was God doing listening to that conversation? But he heard and God judged them. Moses didn't judge them. God judged them. So we cannot hide behind false motives. So we must check our heart. Why are we doing ministry? Second, Second Corinthians 2. Sorry, what I just read was Philippians 1, 15 to 18. Got my scriptures wrong. Philippians 1, 15 to 18. That was what I just read. Now, 2 Corinthians 2, 17. You see, we're not like that many hucksters who preach for personal profits. We preach the word of Christ with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. 2 Corinthians 2, 17, the New Living Translation. We are not like the hucksters who preach for personal profits. We preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. Can we do ministry where we know there will be no profit? Why do we move to the places we move to? Who is leading us? Money or God? We have to answer these things. We have to be clear on these things. Sometimes we have to deliberately denounce money to test the sincerity of our hearts. We deliberately say, no, it's okay. Keep it that way. Are we still together? Let's go on. Show up. Brief in my session. The next one is skillful hands. So we've talked about integrity of heart. Skillful hands. Your effectiveness is limited by your skillfulness. As anointed as you are, I'm just going to run through this because we're pastors, we understand the story. As anointed as you are, if you don't build systems in your ministry, you will never be impactful. Your anointing will remain concealed. And you know the story. Exodus chapter 18. When Jethro met Moses. And the funny thing, I was reading stories today night and I told myself that, listen. But you realize that God did not tell Moses this. God didn't tell him this. God didn't tell him what he was doing was wrong. There are things God will never tell you. You have to go and buy books. So the first place to start from is buy all the books of the speakers here. Go and buy them first. That's your first step of obedience. You don't need that vat. Just go there, look for the one that concerns you and just buy it. And from there you build on. God didn't tell him. There are 10 things God will not tell you. Why? I've already written them down. Why will God tell you? (laughs) Verse 13. And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. 
So when Moses' father-in-law saw that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning to evening? And Moses said to his father, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me and I judge between one another and I make known the status of God and his Lord. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing you do is not good. You look busy, but you are not productive. It's not good. Very busy. Church is not growing. It's not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourself out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. He didn't say God will be with you and I will give you counsel. He said I will give you counsel and God will be with you. God being with you is in my counsel. If you listen to my voice, then God will be with you. So there is godly counsel for ministry productivity. Some ministries are stuck because they don't listen to anybody. That, that one, ah, it's word of faith. Ah, that one, it's orthodox. Oh, this one, it's, it's, it's Presbyterian. You know, one day I told my friend, I said, with this space we are going, it will take us 1,000 years to be effective in ministry at this speed. Hey, it's my wilderness period. You know, you know, you see, if you are not careful, you bring a curse on yourself by your confession. Every time you are shifting your wilderness period. Every time you are shifting your wilderness period. Do you realize the woman at the well met Jesus one day and the next day she reached the whole city? He told us about the wild cats coming. Some of you know too much for God to use you. Too much knowledge. It's my wilderness period. God is processing me. God is, God is, God is trying to sort some things in my life. It's my wilderness period. You have been in ministry for 15 years. If we evaluate your ministry, zero impact. And you are in the wilderness. You will die there. Do you know that the wilderness is never God's perfect plan? Even Jesus went to the wilderness and to be tested. And when he left, the Bible says, and his fame spread abroad. He left there and went out. Why are you constantly staying in the wilderness? Why are you looking for that? And we take pride. in it. Yeah, it's my wilderness. It's my wilderness. There's a land called Canaan. That's God's original plan for you. It's time to move. Tell your neighbor it's time to move. Come on, say it one more time. Say it's time to move. Praise God. You know, one day I was talking with Apostle Brandon. I was saying like, listen, guy. We need, to, we need to come to the point where if we're inviting each other for conferences, we can buy each other's tickets. We can't be doing ministry where I'm struggling to come to you, you are struggling to come to me. If we're struggling like that for years, it means both of us are not growing. <laughs> Am I right? We tell, listen, it should come to a point where I say, hey, come to my church. This is your ticket. Because if we started ministry struggling with each other and after 15 years we are still struggling, we, we need to reevaluate this friendship because if we struggle like this for 30 years, something is wrong. Are you following what I'm saying? I come on, are you following what I'm saying? It shows either you are not growing and I'm not growing. We can't be doing ministry on credit. And every time I see your invite, I start feeling like, oh God. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, we're not doing it for money, but at the same time, we will have to buy the tickets. <laughs> let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's go. 
He said, and I'll teach you. And then he, he gave him that system and that structure. But this is what I want. This is, what, this is where I want you to go to. I like this. 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 Ah, verse 23. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you'll be able to enjoy, and all these people will also go to their place in peace. It means the people will receive more from your ministry. Systems. Develop systems. Let's go to Acts chapter 6 verse 7. I was telling, I was telling, I think, I, I don't know who I was discussing, one of our uh, guests. And I was telling them that, you know what, you know what I like about ministries in developed world? The U.S. and all those places. There are people in the U.S. who are not doing half of what we're doing. But you're good with systems. And you think they are reaching the whole world. And by the time you go, you realize, is this everything? Now, we have a problem against that. But this is our challenge. We do a lot and no systems. So, you know, the, the, you know the idea of this morning section? Integrity of heart and skillfulness of hand. If you're skillful in your hand and you don't have integrity, imbalance. If you have integrity and you're not skillful, you're imbalanced. You cannot be impactful without those two. Most of us have integrity, zero skill. No structure in the ministry. There's no opening time, there's no closing time. The Holy Spirit is always moving. Acts 6, 1 to 7, quickly. Now in those days when the number of disciples were, was multiplying, look at that, was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples together, and you know all of that. It goes on to say, six, seven men and all that, integrity of heart, whom we may appoint over this business, this business, this business. Now don't forget, that business was a component of the church. And he mentioned that when we talk about equality. He read that very, very accurate. Now look at what happened. But we will give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude. And they chose and all that. Look at verse 7. Then the word of God spread. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. They made one system adjustment, and the ministry took off. Verse 7, three things happened. The word of God increased. Why? The apostles were not paying more attention to word and prayer. Strife was eliminated by that system. So people could now invite, you know the reason why some of our churches are not growing? Our members like us, but they can't invite their friends into those environments of strife. They know there's so much strife in the church, they can bear with it, but they, they are ashamed to actually invite their friends. So you need to create systems to eliminate strife, so they can be open to invite their friends, and so that the church can grow. <laughs> then, the number of the disciples increased multiplied, and a great number of the priests. When they made this adjustment, there was increase. There are certain systemic adjustments you will need to make in your ministry to be impactful. I look, I look at three quickly. Number one, leadership development system. Invest in leaders. Mark 3, 14, and Mark 6, 7. When Jesus came, the one thing he did was to invest in leaders. Train leaders. In fact, 
I was looking at a research yesterday. I'll give you that. The church in the upper room started with 120 people. In Ephesians 4.16, it says, Every joint supplying, thereby aiding the growth of the body. You must build systems. Leadership development systems. Effective leaders understand the power of multiplying the growth of the organization by turning their key followers into leaders. When a leader can only affect the growth of an organization by the people they can touch directly, your effect is limited to those number of people. On the other hand, for every leader you develop, you can affect additional people in the organization far beyond your reach. As a result, for every follower you develop into a leader, you can multiply the number of people you touch as well as multiplying the effect on the growth of the organization. When you think of Jesus' ministry, do you picture him speaking to the crowds like Simon on the Mount, feeding of 5,000 or spending time to train the twelve? A researcher puts, says in the gospel, Jesus emphasized the training of the twelve. In fact, he calculated the time from Matthew 4.19 when Jesus said, I'll send you out to fish people until his death. Jesus spent 73% of his time with the twelve. 73% of Jesus' time was spent with the twelve. The ratio of time Jesus spent with the few versus the time he spent with many was three to one. If you want to scale your work, spend more time with leaders. Now I'm going to touch on something that I know is very, can be a bit controversial. And not controversial, it's just a pet doctrine. We, 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 we were big on community in the apostolic. We were big on fellowship. We were big on communal life. Right? The truth is that there is a limit to which you can grow a church with that sense. This is it. Listen very carefully. When you grow that, and the people don't know how to now break from that into having community as individuals, let's say like cell groups or zones, this is what's going to happen. When a visitor comes into your church, he senses that communal fellowship, that community, and wants to be part of it, but your people are too used to being with themselves, and somehow he feels like an outsider. I don't know if you, if you get what I'm trying to say. So, we walk into Telos, for instance, and we see a sense of community, but we want to be part of it, but these guys are just too knitted to themselves that it's almost like you want to be part, but you feel like an outsider. So you discover that for every 10 person that walks into our church, only one person stays because we have not built ourselves to the point where we can be open to people even though we want to reach out to them. There's a level of scaling you will never get if you build that way. Your church will always go between that place where we can all meet. See, to be honest... If we want to do this work at a large scale, it will not happen like that. I know it might be an issue, but that's why we're in a school. So what do you do? You need to pour yourself into people who cannot handle that community for you. Imagine if you have 10,000 members. Will you be eating every Sunday? Not sure. You won't. Is it possible that we've developed systems that limited our growth instead of enhancing our growth? Okay. Of all the apostles, the effectiveness of Paul is very clear. 
via the leaders he raised. Timothy, Titus, and other laborers called Epaphras. If you observe Paul, that's one of the secrets of his success. He built leaders. He built strong leaders and released them. And we don't find that with so many of the apostles that Jesus raised. And so if you look at the whole New Testament, you can feel the influence of Paul. If you don't feel the influence of Paul directly, you feel it in Timothy. You feel it in Titus. You feel it in Epaphras. You you, you understand what I'm saying? So that's the thing. Impact is about reaching beyond your... I mean, he, he was talking about it. It's about, do we have systems where the next generation... Can. You know, one day I, I, was, I was asking one of my pastors, I said, the way we are going in ministry, do you think our children will have a, a space to walk in this ministry? There's no space here. And there's nothing wrong if we build a ministry to the point where our children leave school and they come with, with whatever skill they have learned and come and help us to push the gospel. There's nothing wrong with that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you were a doctor, you would you not see anything wrong with that. If you are an engineer, you will not see anything wrong with that. Why do you see something wrong with this when you are a pastor? <laughs> Number two, financial system. One of the things we we'll say here, Acts 1.8, when Jesus casted a vision for taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, he told his followers, you will be my witnesses. To mean that he was going to achieve this through them. Do you realize that when Jesus came three and a half years, he spent 73% of his time with 12 disciples and more of that time with three? Peter, James, and John. He spent more time. There were things he told Peter, James, and John that he didn't tell the eleven. And at the end of the day, Peter, James, and John became the pillars of the church. That's how to build. That's how to build. You must build with a core that becomes the pillar of the church. Some of us right now have apostolic assignments to the nations, but we cannot leave our churches. Because immediately we leave, the offering will drop. Immediately we leave, people will not come to church. Realize you have not built anything. So at the end of the day, when you die, you realize that there is no ministry. That's why it's difficult for us to hand over in this part of the world. We don't build with successors in mind. So when we die, then the confusion starts. Either the wife will take over or the dog will take over some people and then the church goes into four or five pieces. We are not conscious that this thing is eternal. We need to build it independent of ourselves. So that, see, I, I, listen, I want us to come to the point where I'll see apostolic churches hand over churches and say, listen, you are now in charge of this church. I'm free to go and do something else. We always preach it, but we don't practice it. For some of us, we'll be carried from the pulpit. Because even with your last breath, you still want to preach. You are 60, you are still the youth pastor. Going, going to get piercings and tattoos at 73. Because you want to be relevant to a generation you have lived. Because we don't build systems. Listen, listen. Whether you like it or not. Go and study Kenneth Hagin Ministries. His Bible school got into Nigeria five years ago. They now have three campuses to four campuses in Lagos alone. The man died March 2003. His campus got into Nigeria five years ago. They are building new campuses in the Middle East. That is systems. They are still using his books as curriculum. That is systems. Ask yourself, if God takes you now, or if you leave now, what will happen to your work? Financial system. 
John 12, 6 and John 13, 19, you realize that the only officer that Jesus appointed was a financial treasurer. The only position he gave in his ministry was that of a financial treasurer. And for some of our churches, that's the only position we don't have. Judas kept the money back. The church welfare system must move from emotions to empowerment. There must be structure. Can we audit your church account? Have you put a structure where people can give large sum of monies or you're still receiving ministry funds with your personal, money, personal account? Do you have systems in your accounting? Do you have a partnership system? Are you deliberate about these things? God will not supply your needs through angels. He will do it through men. Do develop systems that men can trust. Have an audited account. Have somebody who mans that and is doing it professionally. Let's take this thing to the next level. The only position Jesus gave among the twelve was the one with the money bag. Financial system. Lastly, I want to wrap up here. Media system. Our world is rapidly changing. It needs the church rooted in scripture, orthodoxy and tradition, but fluent in language and culture of the world. The estimated active monthly users of Facebook as of June 2019 is 2.41 billion people. Active users. 2.41 billion people. You would disregard social media to your own peril. Media system. I see some pastors doing live broadcast and it's very irritating. The phone is falling. You know, the phone is upside down. You are, you are not serious. You are not serious. You are not serious. Background is dirty. People running around the left, right and center doing... You are, not, you are a joker. Are you communicating eternal truths with such disorderliness? And you say you are being humble. You are not being humble. You are being stupid. Don't be foolish in the days of little beginning. Grow. If you know that you are in the days of little beginning, don't do it. Are you following what I'm saying? Media system. As big as Andrew Omak Ministries and Kere Copeland Ministries, they have a social media manager whose full-time job is to post Facebook updates. Look at your Facebook updates, spelling errors, uh, inconsistent line of thoughts. And, and you say the ministry is not growing. It can't grow. Who will follow, who will follow a foolish leader? And if they correct you, you say they are haters. No, we are not haters. We are saving you from public embarrassment. We are saving your ministry. And, and you see, listen, listen, God looks at the heart. Man looks at the appearance. Work on your appearance. God is seeing your heart, but he wants you to reach a man that sees the appearance. Excellence must be a core virtue. Praise God. Are we still here? Two scriptures that I close. Matthew 10, 27. In Instagram alone, there are 100 million people using Instagram daily. That's a whole nation. So one of the things you must do as you live... See, this school of ministry must be very practical. 
That's why I, mean, I just teach the practical side. One of the things you must do is go back and reevaluate your social media strategy and implement it. Because I'm going to show you the next scripture. Can you put it up for me, my brother? Matthew 10, 27. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in the ear, proclaim on the rooftops. You have God's mandate for media. He says, whatever I tell you secretly, you have the responsibility of taking it to the rooftop and shouting it from there. You have to look for your rooftop. I preach to, I preach to about 180 people every Sunday morning. And it's broadcasted around Africa daily. And we reach close to like a million people every single morning. That's a rooftop. If you like, don't have faith for television. Because, and you know the reason why? You've insulted all television preachers. You are even ashamed to now go on television. That's the problem. You know, we insult everybody who is not like us. How are they doing to television? Uh, television preachers are thieves. And now you want to go on television, you'll be a thief too. That's the problem. You see, don't use your mouth to criticize what you don't know. Because tomorrow when that becomes your future, you will suffer from guilt. Most of you now will be ashamed to go on TV. Because all your messages were against TV preachers. How will you become one of them? So you just repent and get back there and just get and do this stuff. <laughs> Acts 5, 19 to 20. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail. Brought him out saying, go stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, the apostles entered the temple courts as they had been told and they began to teach the people. God rescued them from jail. He didn't say, we are preaching jail. At least there's one soul there. He said, I didn't rescue you in jail to just preach in jail. I rescued you. You go to the temple courts. Go and preach where more people can hear you. Don't be content with a jail ministry. It's good to reach one person. It's good to reach seven billion people. It's time to step up again. It's time to get on the rooftop. It's time to go stand in the temple court. Listen to me. Some of us, I know some of us, some of us have the most incredible messages that the world needs. Our limitation has been our mindset. Our limitation has been our theology. It's time for increase. I said it's time for increase. It's time for increase. Let's believe God to get on radio. Let's believe God to get on television. Let's believe God we can travel the nations and do more schools. Imagine this kind of school taking place in all the continent of Africa every month. And listen, you know what? That's going to make us expand our mind. That's going to make some of us believe for private jets. Glory to God. And if, if you don't fly lots to preach and you heard a preacher bought a private jet, don't say anything. What did I say? Repeat after me. What did I say? This is a school. What did I say? Don't say anything. Especially if you don't have an international passport. Don't even like or share the post. Let's be on our feet. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Father, we make a commitment this morning to go to the rooftops. The things you have whispered in our ears, oh God. We will go to the temple courts. We will preach the message of this life. Well, God, I thank you for evangelistic gifts you are stirring up in this school of ministry. Money for crusades come in the name of Jesus. Money for radio comes in the name of Jesus. Money for books and television ministry is released in the name of Jesus.
Jesus. Things that will make us get on the rooftop. We call them forth. Father, we repent of limited mindsets. We repent of limited mindsets. Podcast. Internet podcast. Live streaming. YouTube channels. We call you forth in the name of Jesus. Lord, we decree that the day will come where we will preach the word and millions of viewers will get access to this message. Because this is what you want the world to hear. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We call for an incredible anointing of increase. We break the yoke of stagnation. And we decree that the words of this house will go forth. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus mighty name we pray. Let's give the Lord a mighty hand clap of praise. Glory to God. Thank you for listening to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. We would also like to hear from you. Send us an email, info at pastormax.ng or call 0805-888-7575. God bless you.